Today is a lawyer turned cancel culture survivor, turned candidate for Senate from the great state of Missouri. Mark McCloskey, welcome to the Rubin Report. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm thrilled, truly thrilled to have you on because what you are doing right now by getting into the game after the monster tried to destroy you, I think is exactly what America needs. So I'm putting my cards on the table and just saying that at the top as an interviewer, everyone knows the video. Everyone knows the video. We played it already at the beginning of you and your wife when the Black Lives Matter Antifa activists were outside of your house. Uh, and you have decided to run for Senate. So before we do anything else, let's throw to the commercial. When the angry mob came to destroy my house and kill my family, I took a stand against them. Now I'm asking for the privilege to take that stand for all of us. I will never back down. Our nation is under attack. Big tech, big business, the swamp in DC are all working together to destroy our God-given freedom, our culture, and our heritage. When was the last time a politician defended you, defended America, stood between you and the mob? We need defenders. But all we get is dividers. Every day they teach us to hate each other, left versus right, black versus white, rich versus poor, this is a tactic to destroy us. But we are all Americans. We are Missourians. Our nation, our state, our homes are worth defending. Our freedoms are worth defending. I can promise you one thing, that when the mob comes to destroy our homes, our state, and our country, I will defend them. I will never back down. All right, Mark, why? Why would you get back into the fight after going through what you went through? Well, you know what, what most people don't understand or don't remember, because the press didn't report it because it wasn't good for their, their narrative, was that the, after the first assault on the 28th of June, the mob came back on July the 3rd with a specific intent of killing us and burning down the house. And it was now twice as many people as it was on the 28th. And we had six Navy SEALs and 10 secondary employment police and the FBI light aircraft circling the house. And we had a standoff against a thousand people. And that was a night that the president gave his Mount Rushmore address, and he talked about defending against Marxist extremism in the United States. Well, I didn't get to hear that speech that night. I was a little busy saving my behind. Yeah. Um, but I listened to it the next day, and the media reported that as being the most divisive speech a president could give. And I said to myself and I said to my wife, when, the, when this country is in such a condition where the media reports defending against Marxist extremism as being divisive, like we're supposed to live together in harmony with the people that seek to destroy us in our way of life and our culture, we've got to do something about it. So we just decided to put our lives on hold and do everything we could to, to defend this country, support the president, and so we went on the campaign trail. And uh, then when we are on the campaign trail, two things. One is every place we, we, we spoke, we found that people were just sick and tired of what's going on in the country. Cancel culture, the poison of critical race theory, the lie of systemic racism, all backed up with a threat of mob violence. People wanted genuine change. And you know, we, we had genuine change with, with Donald Trump. And if the election had officially gone the way that, that we had expected, then, then uh, we'd have done our task, we'd have gone back to being just ordinary citizens. But it didn't turn out that way. 
And we continue to campaign on our own after the, after the election, continue to give rallies in support of our constitutional rights and our God-given freedoms. And uh, well, we found out the second thing, and that is that everybody that we ran into at every rally, there'd be somebody that would tell us a tale of a personal miracle where God had made a personal intervention in their lives and had made a material difference and helped their miracle happen. And we realized that, that this was something that we were obligated to do, that, that we had to, to, to give back. We, had, we found that we, we just decided that we had to do something to save this country. No matter what we could do personally, we had to do it because this country is so close to the end. I said throughout the campaign that uh, this was our last opportunity to save our democracy, that if we didn't reelect Donald Trump, the left would pack the Supreme Court, nationalize elections, go for D.C. and Puerto Rico uh, statehood, eliminate the Second Amendment with just judicial fiat, um, uh, everything that has come true in the last four months. And we used to talk about the erosion of civil liberties, but now there's just a wholesale slaughter of our civil, civil liberties. And we also now have a state of what can only be described as socialism, where the government is now paying people more to stay home mm -hmm. and live off the government pit than to go out and work. When I'm driving around Missouri these days, and we do it all the time now, every mom and pop shop, every gas station, every convenience store has a sign out saying hiring, all positions. Same here, same here. can't find employees because employees can make more money by sitting on their duff on the false promise of something free from the government. But the government never gives you anything free. What the government does is takes your freedom in exchange for a false promise of a better life um, without having to work. Okay, and you know so that, me, that that bill eventually comes due, and uh, no matter what the what this current administration says, you're going to have to pay the bill at some point. Yeah, well, eventually you either got to pay the creditors or go to war with them. Which at this rate, who the hell knows? Uh, let's. I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to dwell too much on the original events, but I, I just if you could just talk about it from really from a personal perspective. You you live on a private street that was gated and locked. They broke in. Now, you're trying to protect your house. And, you know, once we see these things on TV, it almost becomes, because of the reality nature of everything, it's almost like a cartoon when people are watching it. You don't really realize that these are real people in their home, that they own their property, as you said, defending their property with their God-given right of, of owning arms. Um, can you just talk a little bit about what it was like that moment when you had to say to your wife, I assume, you know, we gotta, we gotta get the guns. We're, we're, we're literally threatened right now. We, and it takes a little bit of background too because uh, 28 days earlier on June the 1st, night of June the 1st, June the 2nd, uh, in response to the George Floyd event, the uh, people that, that always are preaching their moral superiority to us decided their way to establish peace and love was to burn down downtown St. Louis. And they, they rioted and they looted. That night, four police officers were shot. Uh, police Captain David Dorn was murdered during secondary employment about a half a mile from where I'm sitting right here. Wow. Um, in the ensuing three weeks, the more and more businesses got, got looted and boarded up. A little pharmacy around the corner from my office, which is just three blocks from here, uh, was broken into. They, they pried up the steel, rolled on doors, stole everything they could steal, broke everything they couldn't steal. So I asked the owner, I said, well, did the cops ever show up? Ten hours after the alarm went off. My wife and I watched the 7-Eleven in downtown St. Louis, two blocks from the police headquarters from the time the first brick went through a window, people came in, looted it empty, threw in fire, building becomes engulfed in flames. 
Patty and I are watching it from, from our bedroom on a live helicopter feed. 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes, no police showed up, no fire showed up. We looked at each other and said, you know, when the fit hits the shan, you're out there and you're wild lonesome. And so that's the context. When we see this yeah. mob coming down the street, th- uh, three to 500 of them, six-lane li- six uh, road completely filled from side to side for as far as we can see. And then all of a sudden the gate bursts open, right? And they start storming in. Now, these are the same people that have just burned downtown and killed people and destroyed millions of dollars worth of stuff. And, you know, the, the, the liberal press would, would have me uh, interrogate each one as they came through the gate. Now, are right. you the good writer or are you <laughs> right, the bad right, writer? Right, right, right. Are you the peaceful the, protester? Yeah. And by the way, what's your race? Let me see your birth certificate. You know, all this kind of BS. No. They broke down the gate and they started storming in. The first thing I did was say the two most racist, white superiority comments you say in the world. I said, private property. And, of course, these people being communists, when I said private property, that inflamed them. And they just came rushing in. Well, my wife went in to call 911. My daughter was with us that night, too. She's 31. She'd come in from Chicago for dinner. Um, she went in to call 911. I went around the uh, first door I could find and grabbed my AR, which I had staged because we'd heard there might be a riot, and uh, went out in the, uh, on the porch. And I started saying, private property, get out. I probably said something impolite like, get the hell out of my neighborhood. And then all of a sudden, thinking that Patty's still in the house calling 911, all of a sudden she shows up in front of me on the lawn waving that dumbass little Brico pistol over her head, right? <laughs> and she never fired a gun in her life. But now I've got a problem yeah. because I don't have a clean line of fire. She's between me and the, and the mob. And if something bad happens, I, don't, I can't put off a shot because I might hit her. I, I kind of like her. You know, I would not have to accidentally put a bullet in her. And so now I've got to come out in the front lawn. And that's, and that's the, the scene that everybody sees. And that 32-second clip that's on all the news, that's the last 32 seconds after the entire crowd has already dissipated. But there were people in front of me wearing body armor, carrying weapons. One guy pulls two loaded magazines out of the pockets of his, of his uh, body armor, points them at me so I can see this. They're loaded with, with rounds, wow. clicks them together and says, you're next. This guy standing next to him, also with body armor, got a sidearm on, and he keeps inching closer and closer and closer. I mean... These were not peaceful protesters. These were people that were there meaning business. Did, did and you, afterwards, did go you ahead. Feel, yeah, well, did you feel in some way that your whole life had led up to that in an odd sense? I mean, obviously, you didn't know that you were going to run for Senate just a couple of months later, but you, you were prepared for this moment. They, they knocked on the wrong door, yeah. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I, I mean, I had been a very vocal anti-communist my whole life. I, I had been speaking... And, and interestingly, Ali North has endorsed our campaign, and we did a video with him last week. But uh, back, and I was, I was reminiscing with him because we've known each other 30 years. But back when I was in college, I was lecturing against the uh, Sandinistas in Nicaragua and Daniel Ortega. And here it is all these years later. The, uh, the Sandinistas are still in charge of Nicaragua. Daniel Ortega is still there. But now John Kerry, instead of <laughs> complaining about Ali North doing business with the Iranians, now John Kerry's doing business with the Iranians, you know. Yeah. What a world. Yeah, something something didn't go right in the course of those three decades or so. Uh, one more one more question on the original incident, and then I really do want to talk about what you want to do going forward. Can you just talk, because I know so many people are just so afraid of, of I, the mob, and I mean that literally and figuratively. Can you just talk about what it was like to see your name in the media being called a white supremacist and just all the awful stuff that you had to deal with, and then we'll move on to sort of what you're going to do going forward. 
Well, the good news is, well, I, I said this uh, the very first reporter. If I had been the senior partner at the largest law firm in St. Louis, I would have had to apologize until I was blue in the face and then resign my job anyway. The only reason I was allowed to go forward with my life was that, that we're self-employed, we're independent, we're not in position, and nothing the press could say was going to bother me one way or the other. And this, I think the second interview I had was with, with Chris Cuomo. And my wife advised me not to go on Cuomo's show. You know, I knew what a snake he was anyway. Um, but the very first thing he says is, how do you like being the face of white resistance, right? And what a, what a load of horse manure, right? I had no idea what race people were when they're coming in. I saw an angry mob. They're coming down the street. And, and you know, you've got to understand that this was not a benign event. You've got people screaming at the top of their lungs, chanting, beating on drums, hammering the street with sticks, and then they burst in, and yet you know that they've just killed people, you know that they've burned uh, businesses down, they've ransacked, and now they're right in front of you, and I mean, we're talking 40, 50 feet in front of the house and coming towards you. This is not a benign event, and I, I had no expectation of surviving if I tried to defend myself. I had no expectation of surviving if I didn't but by God, I wasn't going to go down without a fight. But we held them off. No one got hurt. Not a shot got fired. You know, right now there are people, I think more than 36 of them, sitting in solitary confinement cells for the offense of trespass at, on the U.S. Capitol. None of the three to 500 people that trespassed in my yard saw a day in jail, let alone months of solitary confinement. So it really is a different way the, the, the system works if you're a Republican or if you're a Democrat. Yeah. All right. So with that in mind, you are running as a Republican. As you said, you, you've been a conservative. Uh, what would you say are like the main the main factors in, in how you view your your political life? Well, the major thing is that we just need to reestablish who runs this country. The Declaration of Independence was pretty darn concise, you know, that we have rights endowed by God, including life, liberty and pursuit of happiness. And I, I always start my speeches with a recitation of the Declaration of Independence, but I always stop with a line, and amongst these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Then Joe Biden made a speech the other day, and in his speech he said this. He started talking about the Constitution. You know, Joe has a hard time getting sentences out, but eventually he says, we the people are the government, not the people. He said, we the people are the government. And I, I popped up on my computer the actual written transcript of his speech, and that's actually what he said. And so since then, I've been adding the next line to my speech, and that is that to secure these rights, governments are instituted amongst men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Mm -hmm. And that's what my campaign is all about, to remind those folks up in D.C. that the government exists by the consent of the governed, and they've ignored that. They think we exist subject to the whatever privileges they think that they will dribble down to us, whatever they think we deserve. But the power resides in the people, and we need to pull it back. What do you think the main issues are for the people of Missouri right now? I mean, I, I understand sort of the broad freedom aspect and the, and the federal government's, you know, encroaching and, and all this stuff, but are there sort of granular on-the-ground on the issues in Missouri that you think are unique to that state? Well, yeah, you know, of course, uh, taxation is an issue. Of course, spending and, and creating fiat money that just weakens the economy and, and devalues everything. Gas prices, I mean, we're, we're an agricultural state, yeah. and uh, imagine how much more expensive it's going to be to plant and harvest this year. 
down by 50 percent in the last four months. Um, and, and the border crisis. I mean, once again, being an agricultural state, when you've got hundreds of thousands or eventually millions of illegal aliens pouring in, what's that do for the economy of states that would otherwise employ American citizens to do that same labor? It is, it is devastating. And once again, it's two things. It's devastating to the economy and it dilutes the legitimate voter roles of, of everywhere, including, including your state in California and mine here in Missouri. And that's done intentionally. I mean, there's no there's no accident involved in any of these things. Um, and then and then fair trade. I mean, uh, once again, uh, we've spent decades, my entire life, until Donald Trump got elected president, letting the rest of the world take advantage of us in trade. And now we're right back there. And can you believe? Can anybody in this planet believe that Joe Biden is allowing the Russians to build their pipeline while canceling the XL pipeline in the United States? What massive hypocrisy! Who does this guy work for? Who did I, well, it ain't him making the decisions. I think that's clear. Has Trump or anyone from the Trump campaign reached out to you? Because it's in some ways, it's like, man, he should be just out there with you tomorrow. Well, and, and no, uh, you know, obviously we would we would love to have the president's endorsement, um, but we've had no contact with him directly. Um, I sure I sure would like to because, uh, you know, he did more in four years despite being blasted by the media every single day and having nothing but negative reporting on him. And, you know, every time he blew his nose, it was there was a reason to to impeach him. And yet he did more in four years than anybody else had done in the last 40. And now to see it all wiped away, all that progress destroyed uh, by, uh, uh, you know, who's running the country? I don't know. It certainly isn't Mr. I'm going to hide in my basement so I don't have to tell anybody what I believe in. How's the coverage been for you, the mainstream coverage in Missouri and nationally? You know, the second I saw the ad, I said to my guys, get him on now. And you guys, you know, that's when I know it's a real campaign because your people immediately responded, unlike what's going on here in California where Caitlyn Jenner's people completely MIA. So to me, that's just that's just theater. Your people working on it and, and here you are. But how's the mainstream coverage been for you? Well, I'll, I'll answer that first part first. I mean, how, why I'm on here today is I got a text message from a, a grassroots supporter of mine saying, hey, Dave Rubin said that if you want to be on his show, he's got an open invitation. So I contacted my, my campaign manager and said, get me on Dave Rubin's show today. So, uh, I think I think we had traded, there, we had emailed just as your guys had emailed us, something like that. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, that's what it's all about. That's a beautiful thing. But we've got two major papers in Missouri. We've got, well, on the, in the, uh, um, big cities. We've got two big cities. We've got Kansas City and we've got St. Louis. St. Louis Post-Dispatch and the Kansas City Star. Um, and if I were uh, Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin, I'd have gotten more favorable coverage. Okay. Oh. And the well, national. What are they saying? What are they saying? Just the same well, old stuff. Uh, the uh, just the uh, gun-waving uh, St. Louis couple who whose only uh, only qualification for political office is that they pointed guns at peaceful protesters. I mean, that's that's the uniform line. I uh, I uh, was interviewed by an AP reporter this morning, and he had written that same big lie in, in, in his article two days ago. So I, I brought for him today a photograph of the BLM protesters stepping over the gate that they had smashed down, despite the fact that the, the, the fake news mainstream media constantly reports that they were walking peacefully through an open gate. And, you know, the mainstream media has has little interest in little or no interest in actual truth. They have an agenda, but we know that, and that's not going to bother us. Yeah, and I can sense already a, a groundswell of online support for you, which is obviously fantastic. I guess I guess we can wrap with this, which is 
what would you want anyone else watching this to, to know about standing up for yourself and why you gotta do it? Because not only did you do it, you then decided to double down and go into the flames again. And, and no matter what happens here, I think it's an incredible story. Well, here, here's what I've been saying to everybody, and I'll say it until, until I die now, or until the country goes first. Um, that is, you can no longer depend on the government. You can't, you can't hope that big tech or big business is going to save you. If you don't like critical race theory, get, get involved. Elect a school board that will prohibit it. If you don't like unconstitutional mandates coming down from your mayor or your county executive, vote them out. Put in real conservatives that will respect the citizens' rights. If you don't like what's going on in your state capitol, throw out the rhinos, throw out the Democrats, vote in real conservatives. Every single citizen needs to make a personal commitment to taking back their freedoms. Vote in people that you can trust and vote out if they don't live up to your trust. And, you know, if, if people want to help out, if people think we've got a right idea, go to McCloskeyforsenate.com, donate whatever you can, five, ten bucks. There's a real grassroots campaign. You know, the, the media is going to dump on us. The left's going to come down on us like a ton of bricks. I suspect maybe even some of my Republican cohorts will have less and complimentary things to say about us, but I don't care. We're here to represent the people of Missouri. And if the people of Missouri want to have somebody who's not subject to intimidation, who has no strings attached, who will do everything I can and will never back down. And when I go to rallies, I get a general outpouring of similar belief. Everybody knows that our rights, our freedoms are given to us by God that when the founders of this country wrote the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, they weren't creating privileges for us. They were merely recording in paper the rights we were born with as human beings made in the image of God. Mark, well said, man. I wish you the best of luck. I, I'm so impressed by the story and this is exactly what America needs. Uh, we're gonna link down to your Senate campaign below, so hopefully people will jump over there, throw you a couple bucks if they can. And I wish you luck, and I hope we cross paths, and maybe if I make it out to Missouri, I'd love to join you on stage. I'll get the crowd going for you. All right, I sure appreciate it. Awesome, thank you so much. Take care. Thanks for tuning in everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.